was upside down. Believers were old news that the age and the God of the world was on everybody's mind. But it wasn't because it was freedom. It was because it was scared. Scared that this Jezebel would find them out destroy them if they said the wrong thing. And so the world of human beings and their daily activities fell silent. People just not say anything. And the prophet came and said, you know, the Lord is God. And he's going to redeem. And it said the people said nothing because they were afraid. Afraid by saying amen even that they would be seen as uh, rebels and they'd lose everything and the children would suffer and that's the day we live in we live in we live right there we live in a place where we don't dare say something or we're nervous or wonder how people will take it because words have lost their meaning and been hijacked to this other meaning. And yet, Lord, there was a demonstration where the priests of this fear were challenged. Why don't you make an offering to you, God? Why don't you, why don't you, why don't you show your devotion? And whichever God receives the sacrifice, he's done. Man, these prophets of Baal, they danced and they sang, they worshiped, they showed their devotion, they cut themselves, they 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 they, 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 they found themselves caught up in the ecstasy of what they believed. And yet, Lord, there was no fire from heaven. So the prophet rebuilt the altar, laid out the sacrifice, began pouring water on it. Bucket after bucket after bucket. Soak the wood, soak the sacrifice. The water ran into a trench around the offering. And they called upon the name of the Lord. And it said fire came down from heaven and took that sacrifice. And the people's mouths were loosed. Lord, we asked that today. Father, I pray for these in this room. They, they're hungry for you. They are. They're willing to serve you. They're, they're staying for two services all the time. They show up, Lord. They, they're faithful. They reach out to the little kids. They, they reach out to their friends. They reach out to their neighbors. Father, they're reading the word. They're praying. They're on their knees. Lord, they're worshiping you. They believe in you. They trust you. They care for one another. When they're sick or when there's something happening or when they're Goodness, heaven forbid somebody has to move. They are in on it. And yet, Lord, I just pray that your fire would fall on these, not because of their silence, but because these need to experience success in the Spirit. They need, Father, to see their own lips, Father, open so wide that, Father, what comes out of them, Father, becomes salvation to the neighborhood, salvation, Father, to the city, salvation to and Pueblo Springs and on and on, Vermillion. Father, you want to bring a demonstration. You don't want anyone to be the exalted one except you. 
something like that. We're hungry, Lord, for that which we've never experienced. We're starving for that which is only food we've never had to that extent. We're there, Lord, we're there. I thank you, Father, that not only have you heard our prayers, but more importantly, you've united our heart with yours. We want what you say you promised more than we want anything else. So Lord, we bless you. We thank you. We just put our arms up and we say, Lord, I receive. I believe you. I receive the church of Jesus Christ that I've never been to. I receive the word of God in its exalted nature. And I receive the Son of God in our fullness of his testimony, his sacrifice, his resurrection, and his intercession for us right now. How we receive of your spirit, Lord. Bring to us boldness in these days. We just bless you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Nat. Thank you, guest chest. Ephesians, 
If there's been so much that's gone into, if we started back in chapter 1, verse 1, and from there till today in this fifth chapter, and the verses 19 through 21, man, there has been so, so, so much in relationship to how Jesus Christ has done and sees his church. And every generation is in this book. Every generation. This is not a letter to something back here that we're honoring and seeing its value as a message kind of to them, but actually we can gain from. But it becomes so clear as a message to us. It's not only contemporary, it's personal. And he brings us to this clarity that we have to see in light of the context. Uh, I remember there were days in my Christian life where I was just, man, I would be just hungry for something. I wouldn't know where to look for it, so I just pop my Bible open. Man, it was like, okay, man, <laughs> I hope that's a good one, all right? And, the, you know, the, the old joke is he turned to the place where it says, and, and Judas went out and hung himself. Okay, you don't want to, you don't want to just do that all the time, all right? But but it begins to if we take a look at Ephesians the fifth chapter, the first verse, and he's talking about the imitators of God. He's not saying mimic in the sense of I see God do something, I get as close to that as I can. But he's saying step into likeness. Because even the love that we have that we worship God with. See, we didn't originate. That is the best human love that we have. That's a love that's been given to us to share back with Him. They said, be imitators of God, not approximators. Now, this is, most of you in this room, you're, you're in the sowing part of your life. You're sowing. Some of us uh, are. Still doing some sewing, but it's more of a finishing what was started. Being faithful to what this calling has been for all these years and making a mistake on every side of it. But that what God has intended is that's to be accomplished, it's to be done. You know, the, 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 the sewing season of your life is something to where there's very little that God wants you to evaluate in regard to it. Let me make you an example of that. Um, a farmer that goes out and sows seed and then for one reason or the other wonder, hey, is, is this planted correctly? Is it going to germinate? All right. Did I plant it too deep? Was it too cold? Whatever. And they can get happy feet or they can be insecure and they go out and kind of dig some of it up. Okay? And so you kill it as you're trying to find out if it's alive or not. But this piece that we do in terms of our sowing, sometimes we're like that. We have a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, a wife, a spouse, a parent. And uh, there's been something that we've been done sowing. What they see most folks, your parents see most of all is your behavior, is, 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 is what you do. And they may not get it. When I left graduate school, 
simple Oliver, you know, they're seeing and are, are understanding me by I'm going to graduate school so I, I get this particular uh, degree so that I can do this particular thing. And man, when that was gone, so they're thinking, what? The boy's nuts. Okay, he lost his mind. Right? Julie's folks were sure of it because they were sure I was going to do that. You know? I mean, they, were, they were pretty, they were like, boy, you know. Because no man is good enough for somebody's dog. Right? But it becomes this, this soul time that you have to embrace. Because you're not the one who sows, cultivates, waters, um, and reaps. But you're the one that sows. Right? And God is making out of us again sowers and reapers. And we're learning how to be faithful in that. Because sometimes it's not fun. Or sometimes we get distracted. Or sometimes there's things that get in the way. And what so many do, man, we, we leave that field and we go over here and we start sowing over here. And then, well, and we get so many fields, man, there's no tending. There's no, there's no, there's no um, fidelity with the field. But he says that this being imitators, this sowing as God would sow, he says he wants it done as, as beloved children. Man, there's something about kids. You know, Megan sends me little videos of Eli. I mean, he's just, I mean, it makes you laugh just him sitting there. He's not really doing anything. Or he's just rocking back and forth, or he's sitting in this box, or, you know, he's, he's at the fence. They got a fence around the Christmas tree, and he finally woke up to the fact that it's there, and it's like, let me in. <laughs> let me grab stuff. I want to put those lights in my mouth, all right? But he says, man, as beloved children, be imitators of God. As those that aren't so sophisticated that we preclude faith because we're kind of what? A little experienced. He says, man, walk in love. Let me get you, let's get something straight about agape love. Now we've got to understand this, if you don't. Agape love is like no other kind of love. It's God's love. But God's love is beneficial to everybody. It doesn't matter if you're in or out or smart or small. Or, it doesn't matter. That love pursues you regardless of you. It pursues you, loves you, is for you, will never give up on you. But that love is only experienced by faith. That love is only enjoyed and fellowship with God. As we exercise faith, we need to understand that. That God brings us to the place where He's looking for reciprocity. He's looking for you to say, I believe. Really, it, it really is not what you say. Abraham doesn't record what he said when God, the heavens were, stars were filled. He said, That's how many kids you're going to have. Uh, and it doesn't say what he said, it just said, Abraham, what? Believe God. I got saved because I had poor prayer language, but I, he understood my heart. There's something about this walking in love. Walk in love. And now walk in it. 
because it won't run out. Love never fails, folks. This love won't fail. And yet sometimes in our sowing, we're so interested to see how much progress is being made so that it verifies it's worth walking. It doesn't work that way. When you sow that seed, man, I'll tell you what, it is growing. And God's bringing that life to it. But he's saying, listen, man, you've got to walk in love. You've got to walk in such a way that you kind of get up and move. And sometimes the temptation is, is man to sit and wait. That doesn't mean we don't wait upon the Lord. It doesn't mean we don't spend time in prayer. But that's moving. What we're doing is, is our spirit is agreeing with what God is saying. You know what? Most of God's ministry to us isn't just listening to what we say and then he tries to do it. Most of God's experience with us is to move us from our thinking to his. Move us from our perception to his. You know what? You know, if you, you, I didn't have to ask you to come move up to the front. You kind of already camped here. Appreciate that. Right? This is what I like all the time, but it's, I'm not telling people necessarily where to sit. But, man, this, in January, my knee needed replaced. What? And man, you have to rehab it. It's not that fun. But man, my knee works pretty good. In fact, I'm thinking about field goal kicking again. <laughs> but then I had this heart attack. And you know what? I couldn't have rehabbed if my knee wasn't fixed. Couldn't have done it. But the point of it is, man, this heart attack, man, caught me by surprise. Because I misperceived my life. I never would have thought it was my heart. Never would have thought that. Never would have thought that. And I thought it was, I was just fat and out of shape. Now that's still true, okay? But it wasn't the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Right? And even this heart attack did not wipe my heart out, but man, it pointed out a deal breaker. Because as arteries around my heart, man, they showed it on the little, on the little, we had a movie of my heart. Yeah. Um, man, you can see it. I'm not a doctor, but I can see it. And he said, man, no, I can't, I can't just put little stints in there and you're okay. You have to go, you have to undergo open heart surgery. And Julie and I just looked at each other and I started, I started laughing. There's no way. Sometimes unless we walk in love, we can misperceive things. We can do, we can, we can take bits of information and come up with a summation that's not accurate. But the problem is we live like that's the truth. And so God has to move us by his spirit to his perspective. Because Jesus not only loved us, but in that first verse of chapter 5, he says he gave himself up for us. Folks, to do what is being asked of us is going to cost you everything. It's worth it. Because we will get everything and more. But it's going to cost everything. Because that's part of being an imitator, isn't it? There's not going to be any applause. There's not going to be any, you know, I'm never going to be a celebrity Christian. 
It's going to be something that most of it is done in that one-on-one environment of ministering to human beings. We get down to this this portion of the fifth chapter where he says he's, he's, he, he goes to verse um, 5, he goes to 5.15, he says, man, be careful how you walk. He's not saying be careful like be cautious. He's saying you need to walk with wisdom rather than just experience and caution. The Bible says wisdom builds a house. It builds you. And it gets down to this place where he says, man, don't be foolish. I went through this Sunday. And man, don't be drunk with wine. Don't, don't be intoxicated with something. We've all had the moments where we wanted to be intoxicated by bitterness or offense. Man, oh, wait a minute. Causes me to look at things to it because I'm offended. Take a look sometimes at what the Word of God has to say about offense. It's not wisdom. Being offended is not wisdom. doesn't mean we're not tempted to be offended, but there's no wisdom from it by itself. Don't be drunk with these things, but he says, be filled with the Spirit. Right? See, if I said, okay, fill up your car after church, you wouldn't all go to the same station. He's saying, man, come to this place where you can be truly filled. Be filled with the Spirit. And he's not saying try to be filled with the Spirit or work on being filled with the Spirit or progress in being filled with the Spirit. He says be filled with the Spirit. Because he's relating this filling to a promise, not to something he's asking you to go through this arduous seven-step process. He's asking you to ask. See, God, in getting us to a place where we're imitators of him, we have to move from our thinking to his thinking. We have to move from our perspective to his perspective. When Elisha went against the prophets of Baal, it wasn't because he was fed up. It wasn't because he wanted to create a revolution. It was because he was obedient. In fact, he even went to this guy named what? Obadiah. Said, saying to the king, hey, you need to go tell the king, I'm going to show up. And Obadiah says, I'm not going to do it. Now, Obadiah was serving the Lord. He was protecting the prophets. He was, he was, he was out of his own pockets. He was paying for food so these prophets could be hidden and not murdered. He was doing a big work. But he stopped at that work, and he saw that this next step would jeopardize what this had happened up to this point. Because he starts looking at Elijah saying, listen, what happens? You're a prophet. God says, yeah, this is what you're doing now, but then you're in some other place, and I'm standing and look like an idiot in front of the king, and then I'm in, I'm in jeopardy. See, the thing about it has got us to move us from our fear, from our apprehension, from the circumstances to his thinking, his perception. He has to move us. And in so doing, he has to bring us past uh, Boundaries and thresholds that have been set up in our own life where we see things from that restriction or that boundary 
And that's the filter that we look at things. Things can't be new. Ever been hurt by human beings? Have you ever hurt human beings? Both. Man, I'll tell you what, there's nothing like that. Because we've gone through the heartache of loss, we just don't want to do that anymore. But what he does is he pulls us beyond it. He moves us beyond it. He won't let us settle. Why in the world would he give us boldness so that we operated in this filling in the limitations of our perception? It doesn't work that way. We can't see from his perspective unless we're disarmed from our what? Our chains. Disarmed from our limitations. Because those disarming moves us up to a promise that's like way above kind of where we were stopping. He says this in this point where he says, man, listen, be filled with the Spirit. And then there's number 19 there in the original letter. The number 19 is not there. He says to them, speaking to one another. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, always be giving thanks in the name of the Lord. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, what? Being subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. He's talking about this. He's talking about this experience of breaking, breaking out in relationship to this evidence that we've been filled with the Spirit. The evidence isn't feeling, though feelings can accompany. It isn't just getting busy. It's this walking with clarity in regard to this is what God is doing. That's how Jesus walked. I don't do anything but that which I see the Father doing. The Holy Spirit is subject to the Lord. He's subject just as Jesus was subject to the Father. He doesn't speak on his, out of his own nature, out of his own regard. He doesn't do that. But only that which he man, he says he takes of the Father and man, he brings it to us. What a promise. Man, what a promise. There's something about this part of our life. For those of us who've been around on the Bible longer, I'm never impressed by that that much. I mean, it's not that, yes, I've known Jesus for 91 years. That's not totally true. We, we get closer, right? As if that's some kind of, I don't need discernment anymore. I don't need to fill in the Holy Spirit anymore. I can just bank on my experience. Now I don't want to get there. It's not about my experience. What it's about, man, is am I able to hear him better now? Follow him better now? Be more attentive to him now than I was before? He's talking about this laleo, the speaking. It means expressing. It means expressing to who? To one another. Yes, I speak to God. Yes, I'm innocent. But if I'm filled with the Spirit, it comes out of me to you. And he's talking first about this expression becomes these characteristics of worship. 
this praise, this, this, this psalm, psalms, psalm, the war of these plucky. You know, I see, I see, uh, you know, Kathy and, and uh, Pat coming in, and they're carrying a cello case. And I always think, man, would have been better if he learned the harmonica. All right? Not for us to live in it. But there's this, there's, this, there's this view that God gives us where he's saying, man, it's this language of deep love, of revelation. We need more songs that are just from the Word. We do. We do. We do. And yet we also need the hymn. That the hymn, he said, man, is there's something about hymns. Now, if you go to the church church, they want hymns exclusively. And if you bring a drum, they're liable to, you know, they, they can't throw rocks that hard anymore, but they, they would just throw lots of them, okay? They like hymns. They like the old time, you know, that old time religion. So we've had to kind of open up their, their stuff a little bit. They're getting better. Hymns are great. This 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 hymn business means it's a sacred song, but it becomes to the body of Christ like um, like something we can always rely on the clarity of. That song, that that hymn, becomes something that stirs up in me faith or not. And hymns are something that, man, I'll tell you what, some of these hymns that are sung today, hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years old. And most of us have, have heard this story, but I'm going to repeat it because I, I, it really is a good word about um, the value of hymns and the value of recounting and looking at and looking through today by God's faithfulness that has been shown in the past. There's a, there's a, there's a person, a Horatius Stafford, who wrote a hymn. And, you know, I, have you ever wrote a song? Down? Anybody? Put your hand up if you actually wrote it. I'm not talking about if that was a good one or a published one. I'm just talking about a song. Raise your hand if you've done something. All right? How many of you have written a poem? All right, that's better. All right? Something inspired you. I remember in high school, you know, I was deeply in love with Julie, okay? And, uh, and you're 17, you don't, know, you don't know anything. Okay, really? Okay, but it was still love. And I would write her these poems. And then when I was in Alaska working, I would send her these letters. And I was, in the summer I was a Christian, I would write, they were like epistle love letters. Where the Lord says... And I love you too. And uh, the Bible says, and by the way, I love you too. You know, they're, they're hilarious. I still have them. You know, they're, they're, my kids have looked at them and they go, man, you were like, you were like sappy. All right? But there's something about writing that song, that whatever I wrote to man and sending it to him. Now, in those days, it took six weeks to get a letter from anywhere and send one to Alaska. 
So I'd be like waiting for a reply. And I would be writing this next thing that's so important to me. And yet, this, uh, this particular hymn was not written out of inspiration. It was written out of, man, where, where, where circumstances and loss would take most normal people man, out of the game. Parents are not really designed uh, to lose their kids before that. God will strengthen and help. But man, it is a horrible situation. And uh, Horatio was a man that had a business. Uh, he was successful at it. He bought a lot of real estate in the Chicago area. He was a believer and supported the work of Dwight Moody, who was an evangelist. And what happened was is that uh, Horatio lost everything at one point because of the Chicago, uh, Chicago fire, because his real estate was in the heart of what was destroyed. And he also lost his son before this, through illness. So a couple years have passed since the fire and the loss, and he's working his way back, and yet he's still tr trusting the Lord. And so uh, he's going to be supportive of a, of a revival work that Moody is doing in, in London. And so his wife and daughters are put on a ship because he has business and has to wait. Uh, they're, they're on their way to England and they get, uh, there's an accident at sea that went into another ship, actually the ship ran into them. The ship sank in 12 minutes. His wife sent a telegram uh, and in that telegram it was these, just these two words uh, where she wrote, saved alone. They lost four dollars. In that, in that tragedy. And days uh, later, as he's on his ship headed toward England, uh, and get to that area where it's pretty much the area where this accident happens, this is where man, he writes this, this song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea bells grow, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say is well, is well with my soul. And it ends this way. He says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul, it is well with my soul. Over and over and over again. He's not convincing himself. And he is repeating, man, my, I've been united with God on how he sees this sorrow. And it becomes one that, man, Kathy started playing it a little bit when he first got here. Man, I hope we can have a little more hurt, a little more of that for you. There's something about that that you can hear this heart, but you can hear and this assurance that's underneath it. So this psalms and hymns, but it's also spiritual songs. This this pneumaticos that the Greek talks about. Pneumatico, uh, same way we get our word uh, pneumatic, all right? It just means this wind, this breath of God, this the Holy Spirit, this person that comes and man brings this insight. You've had it. You've had it before. Man, you've been uncertain about something or you've been pondering something. And it's like this, for me, it's like this butterfly flies through here. You know, a butterfly, you don't hear them. Unless you see him, you don't know him. It's like that. 
That's how God's voice is to me. It may be different for you, and that's, that's beautiful. But that voice of God is like no other voice. It's not, it does not shout the world. Man, it's just unique. It's a small, it's a still voice. And man, here's this clarity. Here's this insight. Here's this direction. Here's this, this encouragement. Here's this something that doesn't come from thinking it through. It doesn't come from reading something inspirational. Comes to you from him, and he's brought it from the heart of the Father to you and I. And there's something about that. But he's saying these that can be so intimate, these that can be so, you know, you sing in the shower, anybody sing in the shower? We all do. Man, I sound really on my own, but in the shower, it's, oh, oh, oh. I mean, it's just, it's man, I sound awesome in the shower. You know, and, and people hear you in the shower, don't, don't get me wrong. But there's something that, that we share it kind of, we keep it to ourselves. But he's saying, man, these songs, these, these hymns, these spirituals, man, say it, share it with somebody else. Speaking to one another. It's not you being just a deliverer, it's you being also the recipient. We did this one Sunday night where we had this group sing a song to us over here. It was super awkward and beautiful. He's saying, man, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Evidence that we are filled starts out with common speaking to one another. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He's talking about this completion, this fulfillment, this picture that he goes into in the book of um, John. Uh, it will show up above, perhaps. talks about this in John 7, 37. He says, Now on the last day of the feast, this feast was a Jewish celebration. People came from all over. They know it's coming. And so they begin to prepare. They begin to travel. They begin to pack. They begin to get ready. They begin to take food. But Jesus' brothers mocked him before this event. Saying, listen, if you're some great guy, man, why don't you show up and ta-da? You know what ta-da means? Ta-da, I'm here, okay? With these people. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going up. So he waits until people are there. And then he shows up. And in the middle of it, it says that Jesus cried out. Wow. Man, wouldn't that be chilling? Because what? It wouldn't just be the people here. Creation, the universe would hear him. And this is what he said. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Man, who do you suppose at this festival, where year after year after year after year after year, going back, 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 we did this, but the life of it is gone. We're remembering something huge and important and significant. Our kids are being told about this great work. But that work in the minds of so many was way back then. We're doing it because we ought to. We're doing it because we should. We're doing it because it's good. And the one who is the fulfillment of the festival cries out, man, if you're thirsty, Come to me and drink. 
He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He was saying this to them and to us. He's saying to them that this fulfillment of all these festivals and all these, these bits and pieces and telltale evidence in the Old Testament is being filled by what? Depositing inside the believer that which they celebrated as a coming fact. But they themselves would not be fulfilled until what? He was glorified. Well, guess what? He is glorified. In Ezekiel 47, Man, this is picture. This picture of this, this water flowing from the temple. And Ezekiel is in this moment of his life. Ezekiel sees some things that are of heaven. And he sees them. So graphic, so real. Well, he sees this water coming from the temple. And can you see it in your own mind's eye? Can you see it, that water coming down those steps? But there's a man there, an angel there, that begins to describe to him what's going on. Begins to show him the extent of this. Begins to what? Give him insight into the breadth of this picture. See, the Holy Spirit will give us what? Insight into the breadth of what God's doing. He'll give us those pieces that we lack that you could never, by searching and looking, that you would never find it. He's saying these songs, these hymns, these spirituals are being sung and sung back out of revelation, out of knowledge, out of this true seeing things from heaven. It becomes life to those who see it and life to those who receive it. He sees this water running down. We'll read through this whole thing. I'll get to the, get to the heart of it in just a second. We'll land this thing. And he saw the direction of the water in verse 3. And it was heading east. See, Jerusalem is up here. East typically isn't where water runs. It runs west because that's where the Mediterranean is. But he said this water, as it gets increasingly deeper, as he's revealed to him how deep this water is. It says you couldn't go across. You couldn't afford it. And this water is going into this dry, desolate desert called the Arrow. It's, it's rolling into the sandy, loamy soil where rain that would fall on it so rarely would never, would never benefit the topsoil, but would, would percolate down and be swept away and just evaporate. And yet this water, as it increased, it went out into the arrow. And as it went down through that, okay, we know the Jordan River flows into what? The Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is so salty. It's many times saltier than the ocean. In fact, Gabe, when he was a little kid, had no body fat. All right? None. And yet he would float in the Red Sea. He'd be buoyant because that water is so salty. And so that water that flowed from the temple made the Dead Sea fresh. He says to Ezekiel, this is going on, son of man, 
have you seen it? The evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is we begin to perceive the mind and the purpose and the thoughts and the action of God in the now. We begin to see a kind of success in our ministry that's not from sweat and effort and getting up earlier and going to bed later. We begin to see God bringing this, this living water to the saltiness of our community. And we begin to see this water begin to what? In all of its doing, begins to resist at first and then cannot help it, but yields to the fresh. And it says these things, these waters, the waters become fresh. In the end of verse 8, they become fresh. And verse 9 says, It will come about that every living creature which swims in every place where the river goes will live. Where the river goes, out of your innermost being will come rivers of living water. That water is not coming from us, for us, or through us. That river is that same river you're going to see when you get to heaven. It's the same river. And it's going to flow in such a way that it's not only going to turn the salt water fresh, but there's going to be life to it. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs given and taken is evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit because not only is the body uh, edified and built up, but the neighborhood, this resistance and this salt water out here yields and becomes fresh. And that effect the end of verse 12, it says, listen, their leaves around this, this red dead sea now becoming not filled with fish and life. But these trees that surround it says their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail for they will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. See, there's an origin. And their fruit will be the food, and their leaves will be for healing. Listen, body, you need to experience success in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not working on you to start something, He's working on you, He's putting hunger in your heart so that you don't want the evidence of someday. He wants to give you the evidence of right now. And the gateway is just asking. Pastor Rico already asked. Well, keep asking. Keep knocking. You're not trying to get him to do something for you he doesn't want to do. But all the while you're asking, he's uniting you, bringing revelation to you so that you can see whatever it is from his perspective. So that you act in the middle of this, being an imitator of God. That this response on your part is to say what God is saying about things. And to set your hand because you see what God's doing. That's the only thing that's going to change this. That's the, that was true then, it's true now. And guess what? You're the vessels. You're the vessels in Kansas. 
wants it demonstrated through the body this time. He wants to demonstrate it through the church. Because that's what the promise is. Now through the church. So we're going to close for today. I only got through one part of three. sort it out and ask. Because you're never going to be good enough to give what he wants to give you freely. Come on. So this morning, what's left of it since it's kind of after men, uh, man, God wants just our response. And God's response that he's putting in you may be as simple as man sitting there receiving Distinction is God is with you. We just thank you for this in Jesus' name.